This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by our patrons. You can support the show like they do at patreon.com slash thetomeshow. Welcome to the Tome Book Club for our October of 2021. The Tome is a D&D news reviews and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Tracy Hurley. And I'm Jeff Greiner. In each book club episode, we discuss one D&D-ish related book, spoilers be damned, in full book club style. And our book this time around is Good Omens by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. Ooh, Eric's holding up a cover. I can I can hold up my copy of the book, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's just my phone. <laughs> and speaking of Eric, with us as always oh, yeah. is Eric the Pet. Hello! Yes. Bonjour. Uh, yes, always reading a physical book, unlike you guys, that where you do the audio. Buttons. You you have uh, the time and inclination in your life to to monotask and uh, actually like read and, and enjoy the the text, the written word. Yes, whereas I had to listen to large portions of this while walking a dog, so mm. it does not work well. Anyways, we can talk about that all later. <laughs> um, next episode, which we'll record towards the mid to end of December, we'll be reading A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Yeah, that'll be a new, uh, that'll be a change of pace for us. I don't think anyone's ever read that before. No, it's it's a pretty r- rare find. Um, it doesn't come up very often, especially when it's cold out, um, yeah. you know, in December and stuff. It, it almost never um gets looked at but but has anybody ever looked at it and read it and discussed it through the lens of being D D players that might make us unique yes yes so before we get started on our conversation about good omens i want to say thank you to our patrons that help us pay the bills you can help too by going to patreon.com slash the tome show and offering as little as a dollar per month you can join such illustrious patrons as Doug Palmer, Gene Crane, Hyperlexic, James D'Alessio, Jill Sanders, Leonard Pelche, Michael Harrison, and others. Now, on to the book. Good Omens by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. Uh, we have read a lot of Neil Gaiman at this point, right? Um <laughs> But I don't know, other than, I mean, other than this book, I don't know that I've ever read a Terry Pratchett book before. I've read some two Discworld books. Okay. Terry Pratchett. So, so I, I read this book and it feels very Neil Gaiman-y to me. But then I'm like, I don't know if that's actually true or not because I don't have any other Terry Pratchett to compare it to. So, Great. And I, I think a lot of the Neil Gaiman books we read, at least for book club, were more of the mythology books, right? Yes. Well, yeah, we, re- we read his Norse mythology book. Did we not read? I've read American Gods. We, we read Anansi Boys. And Anansi Boys. Did we read those for the book club? We read Anansi Boys for the book club. And okay. not-, <laughs> not American Gods. Yeah. Okay. I thought we did it this world, but but maybe I just read it on my own. Yeah, I don't think I've ever read a disc. I don't think I own a Discworld book. So. Um, 
and so and that's and that's the funny thing is because like to me I'll, I'll, from the small amount of terry pratchett i've done i feel like there's a lot of play on words which i know neil gaiman also mm. does to some degree but the like reimagining things that exist but giving them a slight spin i i, I feel like has been a big part of Discworld, but i i could be wrong Give me an example so I can follow what you're talking about. I'm trying to think of a good one. Um, well, I mean, the them versus okay. the actual, like, Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Yeah, um, right. Bike uh, riders, or motorcycle riders. Mo- yeah. yeah. The four <laughs> bikers of the Apocalypse. The, the reimagining of the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse feels a lot like Terry Pratchett. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. And I guess subbing in maybe pollution for pestilence because penicillin was invented. <laughs> although, although that, like, I remember the first time I read that book, that made sense. And now all of a sudden pestilence is kind of making a comeback these days, right? So maybe, <laughs> maybe pestilence could, could still be there when, when the horsemen reincarnate next time. Right. And it is also interesting reading this after we read some of the Magnus Chase books where they're the they're constantly trying to stop Ragnarok, which right. is very similar in some ways. Right. Absolutely. So so yeah, this book this is a book. Um it is on its face, I guess, the story of a demon and an angel who were there in the garden at the beginning of time. Um, in fact, the demon was the serpent, uh, and the angel guarded the gates of the garden and, and they've been on earth for so long. They've, they've, they've kind of become a little bit human-ish and they've actually come to become friends. And then all of a sudden they discover, oh, is as the prophecy has said, and the apocalypse is coming and but we kind of like it here and don't really want there to be the war that ends all, uh, all of existence. And um, that actually sounds kind of lame. And so let's try to stop it. Right. Um, I actually, and, and that's more or less what the story, that's the big, the big brush strokes of the story, but my, my recollection. So I think all of us have read this book at least twice. And some of us three times now, is that accurate? Think so. Yeah. Yes. So I've I've read this is my second time reading the book, and I watched the Amazon Prime series, so that counts for anything. I've I've seen that too. Yeah, I've also seen the Amazon Prime series, and I've right. watched the book. I started the first time I, I I read it was after seeing the Amazon Prime series. Uh, I believe myself. I think I watched the series and then read the book in that order as well. And uh, I read the book in college. Okay. And then saw part of the series, but not all of it yet. Okay. Um, it, it it actually surprised me, I guess, a little bit, um, the book, because I remembered it being more um, Crowley and Aziraphale-focused than it actually was. So I was expecting it to be like 80-90% them, and it's not. It, it spends considerable time with the them, and um, um, what's her name? Anathema Device and uh, Newt Pulsifer, Pulsifer and Mister Shadwell and um, the the horses, the horsemen of the apocalypse uh, get sort of a little um, 
they get like a little vignette at the beginning of every chapter. Um, Is a FedEx guy just? Well, yeah, the international deliveries or whatever it is, right? Yeah. Not FedEx. True, not that. And, and if I, and if I'm not mistaken, it, it's never really spoken this way, and I don't remember from the the Amazon Prime series. But in my head, it was the same delivery guy in every delivery. From from in my in my head, it was in the book that, and also in the series, it was the same delivery guy. Okay, so they did. He got the job at the start, and he was mm-hmm. doing the whole the delivery run, or basically across the world. <laughs> right, because he's got to make these deliveries to the four horsemen who are all over the world individually, and it's always just like a package, and inside the package is something that symbolizes who they are, and they recognize that as a symbol of oh, the apocalypse is coming, I better go, and they know where to go. Right. Um, well, there's one, there's one of the horsemen, the last one mm-hmm. is not on the. <laughs> That's well, or is everywhere on Earth? Yeah, <laughs> right. Because that was the, the the delivery label. So they they find war in I think some African country that was uh, African country that was about to erupt into war. Um, I forget where all of them are. Um, but ultimately, the last one was pollution. Yeah, that used to be pestilence. In fact, they even make a like. The they describe the 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 horseman like signing the delivery uh, invoice or whatever on the clipboard, and and they say you know it, it it was kind of a scribbled signature. It definitely started with a P and and kind of ended with an uh, uh, estelance or maybe an ocean. Uh, it's really hard to tell. <laughs> you know, no, kind of implying that it's, that it, sometimes they imply that that it, that. Pestilence became pollution, and sometimes they imply that pestilence was replaced by pollution, like it's a different entity. But you know, you're talking about immortal metaphysical beings, so I suppose it's all yep. the same. Right. Right. But yeah, shortly after delivering the pestilence, the delivery guy, basically delivered to death, has to basically kill himself to be able to make well, that. Has to has to die anyway, right? I think he got hit by a, a car or a truck or something. Sure. Yeah. Um, but but it, it, he was confused because he was reading the delivery label and says, "Oh, just one more left. Where does this one go?" Um, it says, "Everywhere." Huh? That's you know. And he was kind of looking at the label and not paying attention. Got hit by a car or whatever, yeah. and, and died. And that's when death appeared to him and, and took the delivery. So, and then they all head off to Lower Tadfield because they somehow know where to go they know how this is all going to play out they know exactly what's going on which is weird because none of the other forces of the eternal struggle know where to go right the the forces of heaven and hell seem relatively clueless about how this is all going to play out uh and and to the point that they're they're able to be you know tricked and and misled or you know they spend uh, Crowley and Aziraphale, their first plan was, oh, well, we know this baby is the Antichrist. We're just going to, you know, insinuate ourselves into this this kid's life to make sure that he's ne- neither good nor evil. Uh, he'll become a completely neutral kid and then the apocalypse will, no- will never happen. Um, and it turned out that there was a baby switch, at, you know, just like it was uh, uh, an episode of Young and the Restless or something, right? 
Um, and uh, they were they were doing this with the wrong baby the whole time. Uh, and in fact, their correct baby was a kid named Adam in this small town of Lower Tadfield in the UK. Um, but but turned out that Hell was wrong too. Like there's all these figures that know what's going on and know where to go, but somehow none of them can be used by heaven or hell to figure out what's happening. <laughs> I, I also just love the picture of the, on the plains is warlock. So the, the baby they all thought was the, the antichrist coming. Uh, they, they got the parents to name it warlock and they've right. been trying, like you're saying, like trying to rate like, all these influencers are on this, and then they bring this kid who is not the Antichrist to the planes to start the war. And they're right. like, wait, something's wrong. Um, uh, Crowley, uh, what's going on here? Right. Well, and they, they ultimately they knew that, that Warlock was not the Antichrist because the dog didn't show up, the Hellhound, right? Yeah. right. There's, there's this whole side story that honestly, like, the whole dog thing was really, I enjoyed the dog thing. I enjoyed that part of the story, and I. But as I think back on it, I'm like, if if Dog had never been there, it kind of would have been the exact same story. <laughs> like it didn't really add much, other than that's how they figured out. Um, and it other and it was a cute little uh, thing that was that was embedded in the story. But the idea was that that there was this hellhound that would be sent up from hell, and it would go to its master, the Antichrist, and the Antichrist would name it, and that would define who and what it would be for the rest of time and how it would serve it. And when when the dog showed up, uh, the hellhound showed up to Adam, he's like, oh, look, I've got a new dog and I'm going to name him dog. And it just became this sort of mongrel uh, mutt of, of a dog that named dog who just became a, you know, a loyal puppy companion. <laughs> so. Constantly waiting for its master to turn evil, except that it didn't really in the end want to turn evil. Even the dog didn't. No. Well, because the dog is defined by by its name, right? So the dog would really? like like it, it slowly goes from like this is not really what I was meant to be doing, and then you get towards the end of the book, and it's like I kind of like chasing chasing cats or or playing catch in the in the yard or whatever. Like this is all right. Hell was kind of lame anyway, and souls taste boring. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but yeah, I, I like the dog also because. It is a one of the tools they use to show the power over reality that Adam has as it goes up. So it's one of the first clues of, of that. Thing. Right, I suppose, yeah. So. so you have an Antichrist who thinks he's a normal kid uh, who has huge amounts of power to bend reality. Uh, so there's multiple times like he conjures a Tibetan and an alien. Right. Yeah. It's, know, it's, things- it's not clear that he always had that power or if it just sort of the power ramped up as the apocalypse approached. Well, and then and there, but there was the fact that that specific town ever since he was born, I think, had perfect weather mm. and was a, a perfect paradise for young children. Right. Uh, and all that other stuff that was happening that ended up getting the. uh what, what was the name of it? The Witches something. The, the Witchfinder Army? Yeah, the Witchfinder Army finally was like, hey, maybe we should check this place out. Um, <laughs> and you have this great visual of a guy like 
sitting there with a huge pile of newspapers clipping out things that point to witches because that's what they're supposed to be finding. Right. And and he's got to try to convince a guy that um, has convinced the uh, Crawley and is it Azafel? Aziraphale. Aziraphale. That there's like hundreds of people on the books and it's really just <laughs> right. in this this army. Yeah, so so uh, Shadowell, Mr. Shadowell is like the last of the Witchfinder army. Uh, he's not even a Witchfinder general. He's he's a sergeant because there's nobody of higher rank to to promote him. Uh, and so and so he'll always just be a sergeant. He's he's and he's clearly this kind of kooky, crazy old man, um, you know, who who sees witches and evil everywhere and and what have you, right? And is a lodger of someone who does uh, who's a psychic medium. The seances and other activities. Right, right. Yeah, Madam Tracy. She, Madam Tracy, is both a medium and clearly also a sex worker. Right. <laughs> so, mm. uh, and 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 he has strong thoughts about that, and yet somehow he's this curmudgeonly old guy who hates everyone and everything, and thinks that every. Uh, I, I, I there was a, a point where he talked about how he he really hates Southerners. And he can he considers himself to be the most northerly point in the world, so everybody's a southerner to him, you know. And yet somehow they describe him as like, and yet he's really likable. Just everybody loves Mister Shadwell, and so Madam Tracy, uh, uh, you know, makes him dinner and leaves it outside. And even as he's calling to her and and, and screaming at her that she's the whore of Babylon and and whatever, but he always she always puts a dinner plate together for him because <laughs> otherwise he'd never eat, right? Yeah. Uh, and then, and then the the new recruit to the Witchfinder army is is Newt Pulsifer, uh, who um, was working for for some big company or whatever. He was like an accountant, and, and just sort of was feeling unfulfilled, and saw this ad in the newspaper, and like showed up and and decided to join the Witchfinder army, as one does, and <laughs> is a descendant of. Thou shalt not commit adultery, Pulsifer. Right, and we, we learn. <laughs> who is also the person I think that uh, deals with Agnes Nutter. Right. The, who has the nice and neat prophecies that kind of like push the book along. Mm-hmm. Like it's a device, which is also funny because Anathema. Anathema device is the her descendant. Right. And and they end up kind of getting together by the end. Yeah, uh, yeah. Newt and and Anathema uh, end up becoming a couple, which is ironic because their ancestors were responsible for you know like killing each other or whatever. Well, uh, Newt's ancestor was responsible for killing Agnes. I don't think Agnes was killed off. Uh... I th- I think he killed Agnes, and then Agnes like she she like li- li- uh, set up like explosives in her hut or whatever, and he died in one of those. Oh yes, because okay. it was basically like anybody who doesn't who who doesn't follow my instructions or whatever um, ends up getting blown up. So yeah. which it's and it's worth noting that that that's actually. Part of the title of the book. We've been calling it Good Omens, but it is not called Good Omens. It is called Good Omens, The Nice and Accurate Prophecies of Agnes Nutter, Witch. Yeah. 
And in this, and they do repeat in the book that nice in this case means the old saying, which means exact. <laughs> right. Over and over again, in fact, they uh, repeat that information that no, th- th- uh, anathema uh, is always correcting somebody. No, but that doesn't mean nice like that. It's nice like exact. It means it means like exact, not yeah. li- not like we use it now. And and it, we also find they're not all that exact. It's like it's like somebody remembering a past life uh, with only the limited language of 1600s. Right, and out like, of order. Right. And, yeah, out of order and. The big problem is interpretation of reading and interpreting right. stuff and all that, which the family owed, the device family has over the generation has learned and read and basically time you learn that mm-hmm. she has read it all of it several times that even though she has uh, lost the book <laughs> at one point in right. the car of Crowley, uh, she still is able to. She still knows all the all of lightning. Well, she has it on the. She has them on note cards, right? She's got she's yeah. got note cards all over the place, and they've like they the family has over the years found like systems to codify them so that you can sort of figure out when this prophecy seems to be connected to that prophecy, even though they were written years apart from each other or whatever. So in some in some cases in some ways, the prophecies of Agnes Nutter, which drive. So much of what happens in the book, because um, it, it dictates everything that Anathema does, and then that intersects heavily with um, um, Newton and, and then later Madame Tracy and Shadwell and, and everybody else. Um, and, and so there's a point where you, where you recognize that in some ways they're, they're just as flawed as any prophecy, right? Because there are moments where it's like, oh – this prophecy seems to relate to this situation, and it's very clear now, but we never understood it. We actually thought it was about this other thing that happened 30 years ago, right? And there's a lot of moments like that. And that's, I mean, that's every uh, uh, prophecy that you've ever seen, right? It's, it's yeah. broad and it's vague, and you, you apply it to things after the fact because it's not clear ahead of time. And yet, there still seems to be something to this Agnes Nutter prophecy thing, right? Because... Um, because she does things like at the – now we're skipping way to the end of the book, basically the, the epilogue to the book, right? Uh, after it's all over and the prophecies from her original book no longer apply to anything because the apocalypse that she pre- was predicting had occurred or not occurred as the case may be, um, a, a package arrived to, to Anathema's house um for newt and and opened it up and and it, it you know it was another set of prophecies from agnes nutter that had been you know placed into the care of this lawyer along with some tips about how to make sure you could build a strong business that would last for centuries uh and and then there were individual letters inside the box so occasionally one of the lawyers would get real curious what this thing was they've been holding on to for 300 years and they'd open it up and there'd be a letter addressed to them, right? And they'd open up that letter and it would say something really like deep and embarrassing uh, uh, about them. And they'd get freak out and close it and and, and leave it alone. And that happened twice. Uh, well, so so I, I find it also happened a third time because it's not Newt that opens up the 
It's the delivery, yeah. A letter at the end. That's yeah, true. So <laughs> it's three it. times. Yeah. So so yeah. so Agnes, I'm, there seems to be some legitimate like prophecy going on okay. here. Agnes definitely seems to be seeing something. It is more accurate than what you, we tend to think of as prophecies being, um, and yet it still falls prey to some of the the same problems that we, we always talk about prophecy, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, Paulina and Advice describes that Agnes looking into the future was like in a big, huge tube, and it where she's only seen a part of it, and she's trying to describe what she sees, again, based on 1600 uh, vocabulary, so uh-huh. there's stuff that's like, she can understand cards, or <laughs> right. computers, or whatever, so she just describes it, what she sees, and People have to interpret it. But she definitely understands her descendant hooking up with uh, the the witch finder. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Newt Bolsifer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, which, which then freaks out Newt, right? Because he's like, wait a minute, does that mean she's seeing us right now? That doesn't seem okay. <laughs> you know? Well, and it's, and it's even more freaky because people through the through the centuries, had notes like cheering on whoever that's going to be. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the, the other descendants were cheering them on. Uh, yeah. But but at the same time, like, she still interprets that through her own lens because at the end, when that package arrives, it, it is for for Mr. and Mrs. Like, she's perceiving it through 16, 16th century sort of perceptions and assumes, well, they hooked up, so they're Mr. and Mrs. Right. Um, yeah, and so I think part of the thing is like, of course, this is a book about the possible apocalypse and what would happen if the Antichrist came, but turns out to be just, you know, raised in your average middle class or whatever family in this perfect town and all that stuff. But it's really a book of like these vignettes of deep, like, the fact that we we don't have that much really, but we have this connection with the characters and this like that it's fun to talk about them. Because mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, uh, all the characters really don't come in together till really the end of the book when that at the air, at the air the military airfield that's when all the characters show up. Before that, I mean, yes, uh, uh, I mean you have. Because, uh, like, Adam, the, the group known as them, they're pretty much in Campbell by themselves. They interact briefly with uh, any type of the device near the start, mm-hmm. introduced, but other than that, there's nothing. Well, really- and, and Anathema interacts with Newt, and Newt interacts with Madam Tracy and Mr. Shadwell. Um, you know, and so there's, there's this web, of, and, and Mr. Shadwell works for both Crowley and Aziraphale without, without even really realizing it. Yeah. Uh, so there's this and web of connections that. Connections. They're brief. Yeah. Because, uh, uh, and, gives a lift to Anathema to her place, and that's where she drew up, she leaves her, the book there. Right. Fascinating. So and it's we, worth noting, we've met, we've referenced the them a few times now. Uh, the them is the name of the 
they called it a gang, but it's really just the group. I mean, they're 11 years old. It's really just the group of friends that Adam hangs out with. But but he he is always the ringleader. He is always, you know, they always do whatever he wants. Uh, he, he is responsible for, you know, entertaining and coming up with things for the group to do because he has this sort of natural charisma, this natural charm, and everybody just defers to him all the time, right? Because he, he of course, is the Antichrist. Golden ringlets. Right. And I, I remember from the first time I read the book, and I don't think it's actually in there, but sometimes I'm just picturing them maybe as slightly younger with like their big wheels going around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a little younger than. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. they, in fact, they go out of their way to describe their their bikes, right? Um, yeah. Um, the one I don't remember the the other names of the them Winsleydale and Pepper. Somebody else, but one of them's got a, a bike that's just constantly covered in mud, and nobody remembers what color it is anymore. And I think it was Winsley Dale is the 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 intellectual, I guess, of the group who has the perfectly pristine uh, bike, you know. And so they they everything, of course, sort of fits these these uh, they're they're almost cliche archetypes, I guess. Um, but you, since everything is sort of a vignette anyway. It's useful to have the archetypes because because you're just getting little spots of them here and there. You know, you're not getting uh, full development because there's so many just jumping around through these different vignettes. Right, and it's kind of like part of the thing at the end is that they get Crowley and and company get scared because it's like, what if it's no longer about good versus evil, mm. but good and evil versus humans? Um. And what would what would that look like? Mm-hmm. Because because that's kind of what happens is that the Antichrist ends up living in this perfect clay, like perfect for a kid, and and he's considered half human in in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and he doesn't. The reality is, is he doesn't want it to all burn. Right. He, Part of it is that he wants to like try to control it, and, and some, at least at one point he's just like, "I'm gonna make everything better." Well, and, that, and that's perfect. and that's where the the aliens and the the Tibetan monks came in because he had been reading all these like conspiracy theory magazines and whatever, and and so he he read about Tibetan tunnels, and so he's like, "Yeah, there ought to be." There ought to be Tibetan monks all over the underground, just popping up all over the place, and then suddenly they did, right? Or there ought to be UFOs, and so suddenly UFOs showed up. Right. And but the the thing is, is like there's so much. Even um, Crowley keeps saying like he can't even invent half the stuff that people just come up with. Uh, right. In terms of like they they keep wanting to blame evil, but no, it's really just them. People people uh, do do it all to themselves, right? Yeah. Uh, and like when they come across the paintball fight at the uh, former hospital in the ruins, and it's mm-hmm. like they turn it into live ammo, which is kind of weird to talk about right now, given some of the new stuff. But uh, and they just make sure that nobody actually gets hurt, but they get to shoot. Nobody stops and says, "Hey, right? maybe I shouldn't be shooting live ammo at each other." Right. As soon as they, it was, it was like a business retreat, uh, and actually. It was the same company doing the business retreat that Newt worked for. Uh, right. The, the, he got catched by the name of him. They never, he never, he like, he wasn't there or anything. Uh, but it's that company doing like a business retreat, a leadership retreat or whatever, shooting paintball. 
Um, and yeah, and then Crowley turns all the paintball guns into real guns, and then they realize they've got real guns with live ammo, and they just keep going because part of the the story here is that um, you know people are pretty horrible. <laughs> of course, at the same time, people aren't horrible. Like it's people that that stop the apocalypse, uh, right, and save yeah. the day. And also, even though the Antichrist was delivered and created by the demons on the human side. You get to those where the um on the angel side they also they also revealed that no they want that too right <laughs> so no the angels want the apocalypse the demons want the because the angels turns out aren't really that good they don't actually care about humanity they want to see it all burn because they want you know this is the end it has been written there's going to be this this big war now and and we're gonna win and it's gonna yeah. finally be decided and and humanity is just the game board uh, that the, that this cosmic battle is taking place on and and the implication at the end at least the the argument that um i don't remember if it was a zero fell or crowley i want to say a zero fell makes is that like no i think it, no oh no it wasn't zero fell because he was talking about the ineffable plan right uh uh is that you know we talk about how the this is the way it's going to be because it's written and we talk about the ineffable plan but you don't know that those are the same thing, right? The the grand plan and the ineffable plan may not be the same thing. It may be the grand plan that God wants all of this to happen, but it may not be the actual plan that he wants it to, to play out that way. Maybe it's really just, maybe, he, maybe he's testing us, right? Uh, he wouldn't do that. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, yeah. Except, except apparently, like that's how things work in their world too. Because Crowley even manages to stave off uh, when a couple of the demons come for him when they find out that he's trying to stop the apocalypse instead of working with them. They come to collect him, uh, and he manages to to get him to hesitate a little bit because he he's also like, oh well, okay, finally you you made it, you passed, you you're 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 good. This this is actually uh, you're not a higher ranking demon than me. I'm higher ranking than you. I'm working for you know Satan himself or whatever, whatever. Uh, and we and we were testing you. You don't have to check with me. Go go talk to the big man. He'll tell you right. Uh, you know, and and that was that was believable enough uh, that everything is a test, and you're constantly being tested, and you don't, never really know what your your betters really want from you, even though they tell you what they want, right? Uh, and that right. seems to be true all across the board. Well, there's also the fact that for, for for demons, lying is just a standard trait. So, is he telling the truth? Is he lying? Right. Which one is it? I mean, that's enough to provide the sensation they need. So. so, we talked about it without talking about it the way we normally do. Yeah. So we we did not go through the story. We just sort of jumped straight to the end. <laughs> um. Which is, I, in, on one hand, I think is is okay too. There is a, because it's vignettes with so many characters. I think if we went through all of the sort of beats of the story, it would be a, the conversation would be about half the length of the audiobook. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Um, one of the great ones is uh, I forget the other demon or whatever his name, but he gets trapped in the tape. Yeah. Yes. From the phone, that was it was a, the, the answering machine tape. That was actually the, that was right. That was that same scene, right? He gets him to he he gets. There's two demons, 
Uh, Crowley gets rid of one of them with uh, holy water that he had saved up for just such an occasion. Um, and then pretended that his like plant sprayer uh, was more holy water. But um, the other demon's like, well, you know that we can just change reality, right? So he just changed reality so that the sprayer wasn't there anymore and the water spilled out all over Crowley and it was just water. <laughs> um, but then Crowley manages to... To and and that was actually one of my one of the fun scenes because he he gets a phone call from Aziraphale, and right. in the in the previous scene we had just seen that exact phone call from Aziraphale's point of view, um, and uh, Crowley uses that situation to to call himself right. He has two lines, right, and he calls it's kind of like Matrix, right, yeah, or um. It's a little bit like I guess he doesn't do it in the in the movies, but in the comics, Ant Man or or the Atom from DC shrinks themselves. Maybe I don't know that I've seen Ant Man do it, but the Atom from DC shrinks himself down so small he's the size of an electron that can travel along the phone lines or whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, so so that's what they do. They 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 shrink themselves down um, to a point that they're traveling along the phone lines, and um, at the last minute, um, Crowley stops and turns around, but the other demon isn't able to stop in time and flies forward and gets stuck in the answering machine tape. Which starts to date the book a little bit, right? Uh, the fact that we are in an age where nobody's running around with cell phones, where answering machines have tapes, um, this tells us a little bit about what, when it is set, because I don't remember them actually giving us a date. Well, it does and doesn't, because... Crowley and Israfel are both immortal beings, so they had stuff from any time, and so he could still have one. I suppose. His his car said that had run out of gas a few decades ago, and had just been running on fumes. Well, so Been running on his willpower. Yeah, I think one of the things that dates it is um, the uh, what should we call it? Had a car phone. Is it the the ambassador dad? Oh yeah, had a yeah. car phone and somebody and one of the the demons was like wanted to know how how they had that much line wire right <laughs> right so so it, it it gives us a what late eighties early nineties sort of time frame for when car phones were around but not really a thing yet yeah I mean it makes sense because Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman were not themselves Agnes Nutter and thus able to was <laughs> right. published in nineteen ninety. Hey. <clears throat> yeah. Well, 30 years and it ago. makes sense then because I read it in college, which was the late 90s, early aughts. So, yeah, did we miss any of the any of the characters? I think we hit everybody. The whole the whole thing concludes. We kind of danced around it, but the whole thing actually concludes at the American Air Force Base near Lower Tadfield, uh, which on its own, like, do we have any Air Force bases in the UK at this point? I don't know if I didn't I guess I didn't wouldn't have thought that we did, but um but yeah, so there's an American Air Force base there. They all sort of coalesce there. The the horsemen know where they're going and they show up there. The the them is there, um Anathema, Newt, Madame Tracy and and Mr. Shadwell all show up together. Uh oh with oh. With Aziraphale, because Aziraphale has possessing right. Aziraphale's body was destroyed, and so he hopped around the world for a while, and eventually ended up uh, possessing Madame Tracy. 
So Madame Tracy occasionally talks to herself, sometimes in Aziraphale's voice and sometimes in her own voice. Uh, and then Crowley gets there on his own um, through... The wannabe, the wannabe horsemen of the apocalypse do not make it. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were always just sort of an aside joke uh, anyway, right? They were never... Yeah, because they were bikers. They wanted to know if the the bikers of the apocalypse were real bikers or not, and it turns out. And yeah. I love the the Hell's Angels. Right. Well, yeah, because the, the bikers, the, the, the bikers, the bikers are like, we're, we're the Hell's Angels, and the and the horsemen were like, uh, no, we're the Hell's Angels. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then uh, so they ride along with them, and they decide they're going to be horsemen of the apocalypse too, and so they all come up with ridiculous names of what they're the horsemen of. Um, popular people or something like that. Pop, yeah, popular people or um, uh, stuff that gets broken and and can't be fixed or you know stuff. Yeah, uh, things that are basically annoying things. Um, the heck, right. princes of heck, right? Um, but then ultimately, is it is it in the fire where they get lost? So the entire like highway system around London which Crowley had designed to look like an ancient evil symbol you know, years ago. He had manipulated um, the municipalities to, to make the shape be just right, uh, had burst entirely into flame. And so there was just, just this giant ring of flame. Um, and I, I want to say the horsemen went through it. The fake horsemen went with them and just, you know. They, they died on the pile of fish. Well, oh. three of them died on the pile of fish, I believe. And one of them lived to talk about it, but nobody go. would believe them that they were following the, the, the horsemen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, and then Crowley makes it through the, the fire and it completely destroys his vintage Bentley, which he holds together by sheer force of his own willpower. The tires aren't even spinning or touching the ground anymore. It's just rims floating over the ground and it's just holding together because he wants it to hold together and he can do that. Uh, and he takes it all the way to the lower Tadfield um, air, airfield as well. They all get to the lower Tadfield airfield by way of some old man walking his dog, giving each of them individually directions at different points in time, right? I, I forget his name, but the cranky old yeah. man who, who writes uh, complaining letters to the to the local newspaper all the time. Yeah. And who did they stop the, uh, the nuclear... Like Newt stops the nuclear missiles from being launched by using his uh, skill of anything that is electronics seems to not work in his hand. Right. So uh, he's really bad with electronics, despite the fact that he started off in the story like pretending to be a computer engineer or programmer or whatever, like lying about his profession. Um, and then they're like, "Well, you know, they 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 stopped the apocalypse." Basically, right? Adam has decided it's not going to happen. He starts setting all, everything to rights. The the horsemen um, go away. Death unfurls his wings and reveals himself as the angel of death and flies off. And you know the, we're not gone. We're immortal entities. We'll we'll just reform and, and wait until until it's our time again. Um, the 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 forces of heaven and hell are sort of held at bay and, and sent back sent packing or whatever, but it, but ultimately a nuclear war is still going to happen because the, the things have already been set in motion. Uh, and how are they going to stop it? It's a, in, in the airfield is just a communications place. It's not, not really a, you know, it's not full of armaments and all that kind of stuff. Um, but they're trying to figure out how to stop it. And Newt's like, okay, well, 
you asked me to, to, to stop it, but it, but it turns out I lied. I'm not really good at computers. In fact, anything I ever touch doesn't work the way it's supposed to. There was one time I bought a what was it? Uh, I bought a a gag circuit once that wasn't supposed to work, and then I put it together and and I was picking up radio stations all of a sudden, and, and I complained to the to the company, and they didn't have any answer for why because it shouldn't have worked right so it's not even that that everything breaks in his hands it's just nothing works the way it's supposed to uh and so anathema tells him to to use the computers and stop the nuclear um attack and he like i mean i'm not good at this but i'll give it a shot and then he gives it a shot and of course it all breaks and stops the nuclear war (laughs) would you like to play a game right Uh-huh. So, so yeah. and it's interesting like Adam's situation is interesting at the whole thing too like at the end of the story Adam's like you know we're going to go back to the way things were you're all going to kind of remember that this happened but you're not going to really remember what happened so they all know something happened but they don't really can't recall the details of what happened and then he goes off and he goes home and he gets punished by his dad and there was like a moment at one time of, well, like either Crowley or or Aziraphale, I think, said, wouldn't it be interesting if he like in the process of that gave up all of his powers and stuff too? But we don't actually have any indication that he did. It seems like he's just he's he may very well just be this this godlike powerful kid, eleven year old, who wants to have a normal life. So when mom and dad punish him, he he. He just gets punished, you know, because that's what normal life should be. That's what well, he and we know he has some powers because he's able to make the hole in the sh- the um, hedge for the dog to oh, get that's through. Right. Yeah, because he was trying to get the dog to run away, so he have an excuse to break his punishment and, and run up after it. Yeah, because he's just chasing the dog that's running away. He's not right. breaking, uh, you know, leaving. Cur- not it's not curfew, but. He's grounded, basically. He's right. not supposed to leave the garden. He's supposed to be working in the garden, yeah. Yeah, so, well, and, and ultimately, this this ties a little bit. So, um, it turns out, you know, this has been popular enough that BBC did a radio drama of it, and there's multiple incarnations of, of the book, and then, as we've mentioned, it was turned into an Amazon Prime series. Uh, and they've also recently announced that they're doing a season two of the Amazon Prime series, um, which is of particular interest. Hi, Freddie. Hi, Freddie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, uh, so yeah, there's a season two of the Amazon Prime series that is in the works. Um which is interesting because there isn't another book. Um, no. And as I understand it from seeing some interviews, um, Gaiman and Pratchett actually wrote the ideas, the outline, whatever, of a second book. Uh, but then ultimately, like both of them were successful enough individually that they never quite got around to coming back together and doing it. Uh, like like life just got a, a hold of them and they were busy uh, and they never wrote the second book. But like they still have those notes. And as I understand it, that's what the second season is going to be based off of is these notes of a book that was never written. Yeah. So I'll be curious to see if that involves um, 
Adam at all again, since he still has the powers of the Antichrist. Because, yes, I mean, I, if I remember correctly, at the end, too, in that package also includes the second volume of Anglin Snutter's prophecies. Right, but I thought they were, because they were didn't want to be tied to this obsession of Agnes Nutter's prophecies anymore, I thought they burned the book. Do I remember, am I remembering that wrong? I thought they destroyed it. Because yeah. they, didn't, they didn't want to deal with the prophecies anymore, but maybe I'm remembering wrong. Yeah. I can't remember, but I don't blame them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And also... If they, if they did destroy it, I guess they might have seen that they mean destroyed right. it. There's a second book somewhere else. So, I mean, no, absolutely. We'll, which we'll see. They're absolutely, yeah, we'll have to see what happens. Um, ultimately, I think, you know, I think the fans would be upset if it didn't include Azira Fallon Crowley played by uh, the same actors because that was the brilliant shining star of the series. I believe they started filming and they've seen pictures and then both of those characters are, are back. Okay. So, so. Right on. So, so do we want to... Oh, go ahead. Oh, you can go ahead. No, because I was going to ask a sort of a wrap-up question. So so what did you want to say? I think that's what I was kind of going to do. Oh, okay. I was saying, like, do we want to talk about what D&D players can get out of this? That's what I was going to ask. <laughs> so, <laughs> both of you take it correct. Yeah, so... This is not on its face a typical fantasy story. It is definitely not on its face a D&D story. But we are reading this with the idea in mind of, of it being something that D&D players might be interested in. Yeah. Um, what do you of, think? Of all of the settings that exist in D&D, in classical settings they have, I think for this book the best setting would would be involved in Planescape because you have your demons, you have your angel, you have Adam who has what he believes to be true becomes reality, which is a very big aspect in Planescape setting. So you can, those elements exist in that setting and you could evoke certain aspects of right. Adam in Planescape is just a character who normally it takes a lot of belief to change reality, but mm-hmm. but Adam's belief is just so strong he can change sure. reality all on his own. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, there is a uh, there is a faction in Planescape, the uh, Sign of One, the Sign of Two member of being part of that faction you get an, a Mechanic ability to be able, I believe I put this, this habit and you make a roll if you succeed. Yes, that happened. So, so I would see Adam being, have that mechanic in play. Yeah. Like, uh, I didn't see that. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. And for me, um, I like my games to have a lot of that gray area and I, I love wordplay. So. Yeah. Uh, both of those really, um, it, it reminds me of the type of games I like to play, like, or at least the type of sessions I like to play where, um, you play a little bit with people's expectations. Mm-hmm. You, you know, do a lot of things where the words, words can have multiple meanings or, and, and, and things like that. And I definitely like gray. So, um, you're not going to have a lot of, uh, you're going to have a lot more moral ambiguity than this is like, like black, black and white, or stark contrast. Right. 
There, there is not a lot of. Um, it would be hard to define the traditional uh, uh, grid of nine alignments in this, in this story, right? Because, as as we discussed earlier, it's not really about the conflict between good and evil. It's the conflict of good and evil versus humanity. Yeah. Right. Although it is interesting because you do kind of have some of that um, archetypes that you might have in a D and D type campaign in. Um, like Asima device, Anathema device, and uh, uh, what's his name again? Newt, Newt, Pulsifer, yeah, yeah, because he's all, almost lawful stupid, right? For a little bit, yes, <laughs> yeah. If anything, and I'll say, because when we were talking, when you were, when Eric was talking about this, could be sort of the, the outline. Uh, of a Planescape game, I was starting to think, okay, so like, are are players playing Aziraphale and Crowley and Adam and whatever? And I'm like, not really. I think that now that Tracy was just talking, I think the party is actually Anathema Device, Newt Pulsifer, yep. Mr. Shadwell, and Madam Tracy. I think yep. that's the player of PCs. Yeah. I would say that Mr. Shadwell is probably a fighter. <laughs> I would actually see see another advice would possibly be, be a rogue with an expertise in history. Okay. Yeah, I mean she's she's the actual witch, right? So yeah. And she does talk about how she's uh is it she's psychic? She actually has some psychic abilities or whatever. Um we don't really see them come into play, but she mentions them. But the only one we see in play with actual powers of those four is Madame Tracy when she gets possessed by Azraphil. Well, she channels. I mean, and, is and it what, Azraphil or is that or, or is it her? Right. I, one could argue that that wasn't that had nothing to do with her and everything to do yeah. with Azraphil. But yeah. What do you mean? She totally uh, was a, a medium for those other spirits in the past that you know the it, husband it, always said it was great over here. Right. It was super, <laughs> super clear throughout the whole thing that she was a a, a, she was a, a scammer, right? <laughs> um, you know, because she they even talked about how um, she always you you know there's always sort of a uh, a spirit guide that um, that she uses to be the, the medium between herself and the spirits that she's trying to contact. And, uh, you know, English people, it's always got to be some some wise Native American. And so uh, it was it was Geronimo and it became clear. Uh, there was a moment where they described it and it was clear that she didn't actually know anything about Geronimo <laughs> other than the name. Right. Uh so yeah, no, I mean they go out of their way to describe how much uh, that she's just scamming people um, and telling them what they want to hear, except for this one instance where Aziraphale shows Aziraphale shows up, and then the the husband, the spirit of the husband was actually there, and Madame Tracy was always like, just I'm just gonna tell her what she wants to hear, right? Um, and then um, Aziraphale's there, and and. You know, points out that the spirit is actually here, and and he wants to say something, uh, and what he wants to tell his wife is is shut up, you know, and, and she goes, she immediately goes to this 
to the standard like, oh, 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 watch, be careful of your heart condition. Don't get riled up. He's like, I don't have a heart. I'm dead. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> great. And these are all like great vignettes of things like mm. we'd like to have. I, I mean, at least I would like to have at the table sometimes. Like you sorts of like picking up on those cues right. and just making I, it fun. I could actually see now that, you know, in a, if we go outside of the, the realm of D&D a little bit, I could actually see telling this story with a different system like Fate or something where you're actually doing the vignettes and everybody's playing a different character. And we're going to, okay, let's now let's spend five minutes right now. Crowley, what's going on with you? Okay, yeah. now, now let's pop over here and uh, Newt's heading north to, to lower Tadfield and he's just met an anathema device. Let's let's play that, you know, you two are yeah. playing those, you know, so I could see playing it out in Fate yeah. and just doing the actual vignettes popping around and, and checking yeah. in with different people. Good omens would be a, a wonderful fiasco playset. Fiasco, yeah. <laughs> it kind, yeah, it kind of would. We're 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 a bunch of people are trying to do stuff and everything's falling apart. That's that's. Except, of course, in the end of a fiasco, uh, it it almost always ends in a fiasco. Whereas yeah. this this actually has a happy ending. <laughs> so. Well, wait. Does it truly have a happy ending if Adam can't go to the circus? <laughs> Good point. Well, relatively happy compared to the apocalypse. <laughs> All right. Any any other thoughts about uh, how why this book might be of interest to the to the gaming crowd? I mean, uh, you talked about a bit of, about prophecy for games because in games you can use prophecy. And it's not always using it as written. Is you have to interpret it, and mm -hmm. stuff mm -hmm. might be interpreted wrong. And what's new to maintain? And you can have different groups interpreted the the prophecy different ways, and right. that can be the source of her game. I kind of I kind of like the idea. Like I'm, you know, in a D and D setting, it's hard to like do the Agnes Nutter thing where they're interpreting things from their point of view because it turns out technology and like even magic or whatever doesn't really change over thousands of years in D&D &D settings typically. Oh. But if you went to like, you know, go real ancient, you know, when the world was new and there was a set of prophecies that the players, you know, get a hold of or whatever. Uh, I And I always like as a DM, it's, a, it's always a fun little creative challenge to be like, here's some prophecies. And then they're chewing on it and they're figuring out. And, and honestly, I don't know what it means. Uh, but I can figure that out as I go. And that gives me some, some guidance of some things that I could do or think about or, or push my creativity is, okay, now how am I going to interpret, you know, that they're talking about how they're going to interpret it. Maybe they're right. Or maybe they're just a little bit wrong, you know, yeah. uh, and I'm going to yeah. do something else with it and find some creativity with it. So, yeah. So I, I have done a prophecy for the Lord of the Rings game where they were, was a reclamation of Moria. And there was a urban prophecy where during the seven would be born, the seven clans will be reunited, and Moria will be reclaimed. And my interpretation of it was like, okay, those are just signs, but doesn't like during the seventh being born doesn't necessarily mean he's the one who's going to do all of it. Do all of it, right? So and so there was different factions. They all may be unrelated things. And what does reuniting really mean? In, reunited in death because they were all destroyed? Who knows, right? Exactly. So there was different faction for that game for that. So yes, 
prophecies can be interpreted. Have fun with it in the game, and see what see where, see where it goes. And there have been adventures or modules in the past that have tried to re-envision our world through oh, yeah. that sort of long-term yeah. lens, which is another way of doing it. Yeah. I, my my uh, last North Carolina campaign was uh, my post-apocalyptic fantasy Earth uh, game. Um, mm. So there was a lot of like, okay, well, now you're in what used to be Germany. No, and, and here's the thing that's going on. And most of the campaign took place in the Pacific. And there was there was a, a city that was built inside the old rusting uh, rack of, a, of an aircraft carrier, you know, and, and that kind of stuff. So. Right on. Okay, so should we go ahead and call that the end of our episode? Then I sure. think it's time to say goodbye. I want to say thank you to our patrons at patreon.com slash the tome show. And if you'd like to contact us, you can email us the tome show at gmail.com. You can find me at Sarah Dark Magic, Sarah with an H, and SarahDarkMagic.com. Find Jeff on Twitter at Squatch, S Q U A C H. Eric, where can find where can folks find you? You can find me on Twitter easily at Eric M Pack, E-R-I-C-M-P-A-Q. And the show is at the Tome Show. On Twitter, and you can also find us on Facebook, Patreon, and Discord. You can watch us live as we record the episode on twitch.tv slash tomeshow, or watch the video after the fact on the Tome Show's YouTube channel. Show notes and other great shows are at thetomeshow.com. So that is our thoughts on Good Omens, the nice and accurate prophecies of Agnes Nutter, which, did I get it right off the top of my head? You did. Yes. All right. Next up in... Totally what will be the end of December and not middle of December because nothing is going on at the end of December that would get in the way. Uh, we will be reading the totally thematically inappropriate A Christmas Carol uh, by Charles Dickens. And uh, as much as it was interesting to find the D&D-ness of Good Omens, um, I am particularly looking forward to figuring out the D&D-ness of A Christmas Carol because as much as I've read it many, many times, um, I've never thought of, it, thought of it through the lens of D&D. So that'll be fun. Until then, keep turning the page, Tomites. I'm also lost.